0: The Open Door Christian Church proudly presents Storytime with Miss Anna Mae.
1: Girls, girls, girls! Now what have I told you about fighting? You two come on over here and take a seat. I got a good story for you today. It's called Do On to Otters. And it's a book about manners. Hello, Mr. Rabbit. We are your new neighbors, the otters. Otters? Well, I don't know anything about otters. What if we don't get along? Mr. Rabbit, I know an old saying, do unto otters as you would have otters do unto you. Well, what does that mean? It simply means treat otters the same way you'd like otters to treat you. Treat otters the same way I'd like otters to treat me? Hmm. Well, how would I like otters to treat me? Well, I'd like otters to be friendly. A cheerful hello, a nice smile, and good eye contact are all parts of being friendly. I'd like otters to be polite. They should know when to say please. They should know when to say thank you. And they should know when to say, excuse me. Otters should be honest. That means they should keep their promises, not lie and not cheat. I'd like otters to be considerate. You know, it's always good to have a considerate neighbor. And it wouldn't hurt for otters to be kind. Oh, and what's that word? Cooperate. Cooperate. Did you hear that, girls? Otters should learn to cooperate. I see otters like to play. I hope they know how to play fair. I'd like it if we could share things. Our favorite books, our favorite activities, our favorite treats. Hmm, maybe not the treats. I hope otters won't tease me about my do doo song my extra-large swim fins, and my bad hair days. Well, I hope otters won't tease anyone about anything. And I think otters should apologize when they do something wrong. And I hope they can be forgiven when I do something wrong. So there, that's how I'd like otters to treat me. You see, Mr. Rabbit, I told you it was simple. Right. Just duty do unto otters as you would have otters duty do unto you. So there you have it, girls. Now let's go and duty do unto otters as we would have otters duty do unto us.
0: Thank you, Miss Anime. How about we talk about how we duty do unto otters as we hope otters do unto us? That's kind of what we're going to do. If you got your Bibles, Matthew 7, please. Going to be uh, going to verse 12 in a little bit. What we're really doing is getting into the, the home stretch of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've talked about this every week, but it's really important that we keep this in mind. Jesus went away with his disciples, and he, and he wanted to share with them what has come to be known as the Beatitudes. And it was it was basically that he's telling them life isn't going to be easy as a follower of mine, as a disciple of mine. You can't expect that everything's going to be simple. But you know what? Here's the way it works from heaven's perspective. And as he's sharing that with them, the Bible says this crowd of people is gathering because because it says they followed him. because They wanted to see the miracles he would do. They weren't interested in what he had to say. They were interested in watching the spectacle, the show. But Jesus used it as an opportunity to preach. And what comes to us is the Sermon on the Mount, best sermon that's ever preached, been preached in history. You can't beat a sermon by Jesus. And so we spent our whole summer going through this thing. This crowd and this, this group of people have just heard him talk about judging and, and that we have to be really careful about not judging others because the way that we judge other people is the way judgment is going to come back to us. And, and what he's saying, he talks about the log and the... And the uh, a splinter in our eyes versus someone else's eyes. And he's saying, you know what? You've got sin in your own life. So don't worry about pointing out sin in somebody else's life. You take care of your own life first. And this is all pretty radical stuff. Because the, those people that were following, the vast majority of them had grown up in the Jewish temple. And, and they had learned all about what it was to be judged. They understood that is just a part of life. Uh, their leaders... Consider themselves very, very religious people. A lot of those folks in that crowd probably considered themselves very religious people. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, most of all, they saw law as a responsibility and a duty, not as the source of life. And Jesus is trying to go on and say, you know what, you you can judge and you've been taught to judge. But you know what, here's the thing. In the same way that you judge, it's going to come back to you in the same measure, he says. And so Jesus is going completely against everything that the Pharisees had taught these folks and that this crowd had heard. And what you're going to find out as we go through these verses today, we're only going to tackle three. Is it goes against everything the world tells you to believe. It goes against everything the world says is right and normal. See, the Pharisees and the Old Testament taught an eye for an eye. Whatever someone does to you, you give it back to them. You do the same thing. And Jesus is teaching that in the same measure, whether it be judgment or unforgiveness or whatever it is, that it's going to be poured back to you, that whatever you do is going to come back at you. But it could also be kindness and gentleness and and forgiveness. But Jesus is saying, whatever you do, don't, don't get caught up in the empty rituals and doing the stuff for God. That's not what God wants. God's all about People who will offer themselves to him. People who will seek out a relationship because God is waiting to come to people through Jesus. And he's just trying to help these folks get a little bit of a grip on this. And, and so now what we come to today, verse 12 in Matthew 7, is probably the most quoted, most well-known, both in the church and outside the church, verse in all of the Bible, more so than John 3.16. But here's the thing. Most people don't know what comes from the Bible. Most people don't know that Jesus said it. There is this incredibly famous quote, and Jesus gives us what we call the golden rule. It's, it's the, the golden rule for living a joy-filled Christian life. But the thing is, we can't do it without Jesus. We can't do the most simple thing that he tells us to do without him. So so as we're reading this today, imagine what it felt like, what it sounded like to this crowd of people who had been taught to judge. They'd been taught to tell on and to turn in the people around them for not following the law because somehow that made them a little bit more religious if they could turn in somebody else. And it makes me think that it's a little bit like the good old U.S. of A. that we're living in right now today, where there are hotlines that have been set up to turn in people in business who don't comply with Minnesota's mask mandate tip lines. Have been established to call if, if you're that sort of person that wants to do that. And suddenly I realized we're we're kind of like welcome to turn in your neighbor, in Minnesota. And I think of the golden rule and I think, man, I'm not sure that's what Jesus is talking about. Do on to otters. See, it's not unlike the world that these folks grew up in. So what's the golden rule? Matthew seven, verse 12. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, either circle verse 12 or underline it or do something. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's a huge statement. And Jesus is turning the order of things of completely around. He's not saying an eye for an eye. He's saying what well, you want someone to do for you, you do for them first. You maybe know it as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you're misanime, do unto otters as you would have otters do unto you. My version would simply be this. live in a way that. You treat others the way you want to be treated. That's really as simple as as what Jesus is saying. It gets translated a lot of different ways. One of my favorites comes from the message. Uh, It is a paraphrase of the Bible. It isn't a word for word translation, but it's easier to read and it puts it in a little bit of a different way. And it says this. Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. Stop and think for a moment about how you want to be treated. And then rather than waiting or finding people who are willing to treat you that way, you go out and start treating people like that. Jesus says, when you do, it'll come around to you. Jesus is making it clear. Then if you want to be treated with respect and so many people in our world say, I'm not given I'm not given respect. If you want to be treated with respect then respect the people around you. If you say, I'm not being loved, people aren't appreciating me, then you know what, go out and show people love. Not even love that they deserve. Show people love, and then you're going to experience more. If you crave forgiveness, then forgive the people that don't deserve it. Forgive people that you've been withholding forgiveness from. If you want peace, be a person of peace. If you want less anger in the world, quit being less angry to the people of the world. Jesus says in the same measure it will come back to you. And Jesus sums up godly law, obedience and love all in one simple sentence. But it's more than just not doing anything wrong. It's more than just doing good deeds for the sake of being recognized by God. It's more than just doing what's right and not doing anymore because that's what you have to do. What Jesus is saying is get in touch with how you want others to treat us. And instead of waiting them for to do, to do that to you and For me to wait for them to do it for me. To realize that's probably what other people want as well. And so I love that translation. Take the initiative and go do it. We don't have to wait and complain and be grumpy because people don't treat us that way. No, Jesus is saying, figure out how you want to be treated and you go treat people that way. He's saying, treat them first the way we want to be treated. That is huge because we live in a world that says we treat people the way that they treat us. We give back what we get from them. And the world says, you know what, if you want me to respect you, then respect me. You want me to treat you better, then treat me better. You want me to be more kind, you be more kind to me first. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not it at all. We're to give of ourselves in a selfless way to others as a choice. Not just as a religious thing that we have to do, but out of love. He said that that, that sums up all of the law and the teaching of the prophets. Then later on in Matthew 22, he says something very consistent with that. Twenty two thirty six. They asked him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. We should focus ourselves, our thinking, our best efforts on loving God for all we're worth. And the second is like it. He said, it's not the same, but it's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The assumption is that you love yourself. And the command is that we love our neighbors the same way. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is completely consistent in his teaching. So how about this for a thought? How about we take Jesus' own words and we apply it to our relationship with him? What about this? What if we treated Jesus the way that we expect Jesus to treat us? What if we give Jesus the time, the respect, the conversation... What if we treat Jesus the way that we expect Jesus to treat us? Because what's real easy is to read the Bible and say, here's the things that God owes me. Bible makes these promises. God owes me that. But what is it that we're doing in light of Matthew 7, 12? I hear people say things like, you know, God's never done anything for me. He might be real, but I really don't care because he's never done anything for me. God doesn't seem to care about me at all. Or God doesn't listen when I ask for things. I have prayed and he hasn't given me what I wanted. So my question is, what have you done for God? What have you done that shows God that you care about him? Do you listen to God and his word and apply it to his life? Or do you just sit back and expect God to be your personal genie that grants you all the favors that you ask for? What if we took the golden rule and we applied it to Jesus? What if we loved Jesus What if we listened to Jesus and and obeyed and honored Jesus? I wonder how our lives would change. See, if you want to live for Jesus, if you want to be more like Jesus, then start acting and talking and loving like him. Do to others what you would like for them to do to you, which he has already done for all of us. It matches up to that saying of Jesus that says, even as you have done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. In verse 13, it goes on, and this gets to a tough teaching in the church. It's two very simple verses, but there's nothing simple about them because what it talks about is that there are actually two big choices in the world, one of which leads one place and one of which leads somewhere else. And our world doesn't like to talk about that. Christians, boy, we are coming under fire these days, and this is what it's for. So here we go. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Last week we introduced the ideas of doors. Today Jesus talks about gates. Here's the thing. Every one of you has a gate or a door that you encounter in your life. Most often we encounter him every single day. And some of those gates are narrow. They require us to make the choices that we would make as a disciple of Jesus who has been saved by his grace. And some of those doors are wide and they're the ones the world wants to hurry us through. One of those doors leads to life. One of them leads to destruction. And so often we don't even stop and think about it. Well, I'm going to be forgiven. It'll all be okay. Yeah, but no. There are narrow gates and there are wide gates. Every gate, every door that you face is going to be unique to you. We share a lot of them in common. But we need to start thinking about these gates and where it is that they lead to. So uh, twice now I've had the privilege of being in the Holy Lands and, and going to a gate. I preached about it before. There's going to be a picture up here. You should be able to see this online in a moment as well. It's called the Gates of Hell. The Gate of Hell is in northern Israel. And it's up in Caesarea Philippi. There's this big Cavern, it's a big cave and throughout history, it's been known as the gates of hell. And the reason that it's known as the gates of hell is because it has a long history of religiously faithful people that worshiped and offered sacrifices here. They came here by the hundreds and the thousands, more than just one culture, multiple cultures. They, they worship multiple deities and by deities, I mean, small gods that they made up to make them feel better about their place in the world. But the the one consistent thing is that always, no matter what the religion was, no matter who the religious people were there or the people that were going to offer their sacrifices, the one thing that happened consistently throughout history here was the main sacrifice that was offered in the gates of hell was infants. They burned them alive as a sacrifice. They burned them alive as an offering because they believed that that's what their gods, no matter who they were, were offering Those religiously faithful were so faithful that thousands of infants were burned alive as offerings at the altar. If there's a wide gate in the world, in my mind, the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi signify it. It's the very place that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of hell. That place will not prevail against it. Jesus is saying something, speaking out way into the future, saying, this one's already won, and I win it. Which gate are you going to choose? Whose side are you going to be on? There's a wide gate in my mind. The gate of hell is it. And religion based on false gods that people willingly offer their infants to the fire of death. The gates of hell, that's it. So it's notoriously famous for the death of countless human babies at this altar of human selfishness. And it drew the masses, and all of them, approved of the murder. But you know what? The Bible doesn't just happen a long time ago. The Bible still points to things happening today. In America today, we have a gate of hell. The way that our nation celebrates abortion and the, and the killing, the murder of unborns, is our own gate of hell. America's created other gates of hell just like this, and they draw crowds of thousands who celebrate the destruction of life and property that they create together. The gates of hell aren't just in Israel. They're right here in America. The news media Makes them sound wonderful. Hollywood opens up the gates of hell. There are so many politicians, and we're not going to get on which side of the aisle on, because the bottom line is things are falling apart at the seams on both sides. They celebrate the gates of hell as being the way for our nation. But what the gates of hell, Jesus say, only lead to destruction. The wide gate leads only to destruction. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. We need to start thinking about our lives in terms of these doors or these gates. We need to start thinking about our decisions as decisions that set the course for our eternities. There's a theology that's been out there for a few hundred years that has and theology is just a way of reading and applying and understanding scripture. And one of the fundamental teachings is that you don't have any choice or any say in your salvation, that it's just done to you and for you. Either you're chosen by God for salvation or you're not. They they teach there's no decision to believe. You don't have any choice in it whatsoever. Unfortunately, you can't really hold that up, that line of thinking up in the light of these words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate. It involves a choice. You have a choice. Multiple times a day, you have a choice. As a believer in Jesus, you have a choice to be a part of the crowd or to be a part of the disciples. When you reach that point where you've got to make that come to terms with that idea of who Jesus is to you. When you come to that gate, you either choose the narrow gate or you choose the wide gate. Now, before you decide you want to pick a fight on that one, I want to say I also believe God is completely serious when he says that it is his desire that all people should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What it doesn't say is that everybody will. If God's desire is that everyone come to a saving knowledge of the truth, but not everyone does, that means that you and I have a part in it. What's the difference? It's your free will. It's your God given ability to choose. That's why I say, please choose wisely who you will follow, because God doesn't send anyone to hell any more than he sends anyone to heaven. He allows us to go to the eternal place of our choosing while we're here on earth. The narrow gate that leads to heaven is one choice. It's available to all of us. The wide gate that is the path to destruction and hell, it is the other. And you get to choose. And in America today, this isn't a popular message. This is not what the media wants to put out there. There are not famous authors that are outside the Christian circle that are writing books and going on talk shows that are talking about this stuff because it isn't popular, because it says that there is not every way that's the right way. Last Sunday, Pastor Jeff covered seek and ask, seek, and knock. And to help get that point across, we, we put out these doors and these doors represent the gates and every one of them is a little bit different for us. But you know what? We all face them. The gates look different, but what's on the other side of those gates is the same thing. There's the same two choices for all of us. Jesus and an eternity in heaven is on one side. And of the wide gate is hell An eternal separation from God. The message is that simple. Jesus came and died for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised again so that we would have life and have it to the fullest. That is not a wide gate move, folks. That's a narrow gate. Not an easy one. And few will find their way through. The thing we need to be clear about is this narrow gate to salvation. It's very specific. It's narrow because there's only one way. That isn't a multi-lane highway. There's one way. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. There aren't many paths to heaven. All roads do not lead to heaven, but all roads do lead to eternal life. There's been a little bit of wordplay that's happened there. The narrow gate leads to eternal life. The wide gate leads to eternal life, but that eternity happens in two very different places. The gate that you choose determines where your eternity will be spent. And so please be clear about this right now. Right now, as you sit here in your chair, right now, as you listen to me, you are living as an eternal being. You're dealing with today's problems. You're dealing with your fears and you're dealing with the uncertainties and you're dealing with COVID. And what does it mean? And the election that's coming up and we're dealing with all this stuff. And maybe it's money and and maybe it's health and maybe it's family. But, But you know what? In the midst of all of that stuff that's pressing on you in the moment, you are living as an eternal creature. You are an eternal being. You're not just here for this life. When the lights go out and this life is over, it isn't over. Now you have eternity to live and God gives you this life to choose where it is that you're going to spend it. As an eternal being, both heaven and hell are eternal places. And your citizenship in the one that you choose during this life is forever. It isn't until this life is over. Being a Christian doesn't last and make your life a little bit better as long as you live. Being a Christian is an eternal call. Choosing the wide gate and going with the crowd. The road that leads to destruction is an eternal call. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Think about this verse in light of your life experience. When you've gotten in trouble... When you've made the wrong choice, when you've sinned, has that been because there was people coming alongside you, encouraging you not to, or because you were a proud of a crowd of people who said, that's okay, it's not a big deal. Think about it in terms of the political and cultural state of our nation. Think about it in terms of the prevailing mindset That we see on the news and read in the papers in America today. The narrow gate is the way to Jesus. It's the way to salvation. And not many will enter. In fact, there are huge voices pushing very hard for the way of salvation through Jesus Christ to be silenced in America. Thus, my preaching loudly about it today. And then there are an awful lot of people who talk about the easy way, the wide gate. But you know what? It isn't easy at all. It doesn't lead to simplicity or happiness or prosperity or unity for you and the people around you or for us as a nation. And there is no joy there. There's only destruction. The easy way, the way of the crowd, the path of least resistance leads to destruction. Do you see what's going on here? Can, Can you put this in the perspective of what's happening in America? Those who enter. The wide gate are many, the gate to death and destruction is the choice of the masses, is the choice of the crowd, it's the choice of peer pressure and it's the choice of the mob. What we see playing out is the wide gate, the gates of hell being played out in our world. The problem that's happening, I had a very brief conversation with a wise older man a couple of days ago. I said, the problem in America, it isn't political. And I nodded and we said at the same time, it's spiritual. Because the wide gate is the only one that we seem to to have a choice for because the narrow gate is getting covered up. But the narrow gate is alive and well, folks. There's a door in Bethlehem, in the Church of the Nativity. A tradition says this is near the, the cave where Jesus was born. But uh, here it is. It's called the Door of Humility. It's about this tall. One person at a time gets to walk in there. And what you can't see is you can see the people behind, but what you can't see is what you look at when you walk in. And there's this moment, especially people that have claustrophobia, going, eh, not for so sure. But it's a huge church behind it. But they keep the main doors that are massive locked The way that's easy, they keep locked all the time because they can't so much control everybody that walks in. And so there's this door and you stand outside in this in this plaza and you stand in line in order to walk through the door of humility. But you don't really know what's on the other side because it's so dark that the light just doesn't go through. And and so we're talking as a group and it's, you know, you really want to go on the other side. It's really awesome. You want to see it. But, but it's not comfortable. You've got to hunch down and, and even people who aren't as tall as I am have to crouch down. People who are taller really have to crouch down. But you know what? We all did it because we knew we were walking into a church and it was a good place. The narrow gate is like a door of humility. Most people don't want to walk through it because we don't want to give up the right to ourself. And yet as a Christian, we know that to be a disciple of Jesus is to give up the right to ourself and to begin to serve him and the people around you. Now, I don't know your faith story. I know some of a few of yours, but I I, I don't know all of yours. And so I'm going to share a little bit of mine this morning. Uh, I ran into a door one time. I've run into a lot, run into a lot of them in my life. It's back in my college days. I was struggling with my faith. I'd grown up in, in this very small town, and I'd grown up with Christian parents and, and a Christian church, and, and I'd never really questioned my faith. It's just a part of who we were as a family. It's a part of who I was. And I found myself standing at a crossroads, and I needed to go through a door. See, I was going to a Christian, I'm going to put that in air quotes, a Christian college, and, and I was being taught science and logic and reason. And the Christian college that I was going to presented Christianity as one of the religious options in the world. It was a fine one. There was a lot of good to be said about it. However, there was a lot of other good options options for religion that were followed by a lot of good people. And in fact, you would be able to find your way to heaven through all of them. Time to choose what to believe in. So I I went to the person who seemed to make the most sense. I went to the pastor of the very large church that I was attending. He didn't know me. We'd never met. I introduced myself. I told him where I went to school. And I said, I'm having a struggle. I said, the struggle is. I grew up as this Christian kid and I've just kind of always taken my faith for granted. I've never really questioned it. And and now I'm going to school and I see people living this life over here. and I I don't really want to live it, but they don't seem to be getting in trouble and it doesn't seem to be causing them any harm. And I'm pretty much hanging out, not doing much of anything. And, you know, I just don't know that I believe. I, I don't know that I have faith. And he looked at me and he said, well, well, faith is simple. God, God gives us faith. You just need to have faith. You were raised in a faith. You need to have more. I said, I don't, I don't think you understand. I don't have faith. And again, he gave me the answer that in all of the 35 years since then, I've never given anyone. He said, you just need to have more. I don't have faith. I need help here. Well, you just need to have more faith. I'll pray for you. Not in that moment for the record. Sometime down the road, he said, he prayed for me. He must have because I found faith. So I left that day discouraged and frustrated, wondering what good is the church? They can't even answer hard questions. So I did what I knew how to do. I called my dad. My dad had a lot of hard-fought, hard-earned, hard-won wisdom. I said, Dad, this is the hardest conversation we've ever had. But I need to tell you, I'm not sure that I believe what you and mom believe. And he goes, What do you mean? I said, I just don't know that I believe it. Here's the stuff that I'm being taught. And the Bible doesn't always make sense. And there's contradiction and questions that I'm not sure what to do with. And, and I've got these people that are very negative on the Bible that go to the same school that I do. And I'm just not sure that I have faith. And my dad had to have had the most difficult answer in the world for me because it was the father of two daughters that had their own struggles with faith. I realized what he did was was he set me free to the only place that he could. And that was to make my own decision. And what he said is, there comes a day when your faith has to be your own. You you can't ride the coattails of your parents' faith or the faith of your home church or or the people around you. There comes a day when faith has to be yours and you have to own it and you have to claim it. Well, that felt a lot more satisfying than what that pastor told me. But what my dad really did is he acknowledged that life is full of doors, and I had just met the most significant one I would ever face. That I was at a crossroads, and this isn't the words he used, but this is exactly what he meant. That over here was a little door of humility. And to a 21-year-old college kid, it didn't look very exciting. And over here was this wide door, the way to destruction. And man, that looked appealing. And what he told me was it was my time to choose. I I had to choose the gate that I was going to walk through. And I'm so glad that he gave me that opportunity because it would have been easy for me to just say, Dad, just convince me of what I believe in. He didn't do that. But you know what? We have had countless conversations of the faith that we share since. I I chose the narrow gate. I didn't do it so well right away because I didn't have a community around me. It was hard lost friends because of it. It's been confusing at times since it's been very lonely at many points along the way. I have stumbled. I have failed Jesus. I have fallen short of the life that God created me for. And yet I realize that gate going all the way back to that experience where that pastor just completely dropped me, prepared me for being here. God has used that whole thing to prepare me to serve you here at the open door. See, behind every door that you encounter lies your future. Every single one of them, every single decision. The narrow gate, the door of humility, is when we choose to step through it. And we say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but I need you. It's the door where self dies and Jesus begins to live in us. And for 35 years since I made that decision, I have been figuring it out for myself what that means. Behind every door that you face is your future. And a part of that future is your eternity. And I've learned that when I struggle with my emotions, when I struggle with fear, when I struggle with decisions or when I struggle with how to lead this church faithfully, it isn't because I'm weak. Because the devil wants me to think that I'm weak. He wants me to think that I'm not good enough and that I can't and that I'm not smart enough. I realize that it isn't because I'm weak. It's that I realize what I'm doing is I'm trying to be strong and I'm trying to do it Steve's way. And rather than walking through the door of humility, I'm walking through that big gate that says you can do it on your own. You're pretty smart guy. Figure it out. I realize that it's when I'm trying to be strong and do life my way that I struggle on my own. But see, that, that's not the way of the narrow gate. Because that's not the way of Jesus. It's the way of the world. It's the way of self-reliance. It's the way of self-centeredness, and it's the way of self-destruction. The Christian life is the way of our Savior Jesus. It's the way of servanthood, not being served. It's the way that we pass through a door of humility. It's not demanding to be heard or to be respected. It's to be humble, even when people don't treat us that way. It's a way that can feel very lonely if you're in the middle of a crowd that's headed to destruction and you think that's where life really is. If you think all the fun is with those people who seem like they're having such a great time, it can be very lonely to be a disciple of Jesus. However, if you realize that real life is in loving, healthy Christian community with others, then you're on your way through that narrow gate and carry you through the rest of your life. It's why we put so much time and energy into having the best ministry for our children that we can, because they're facing that gate at an earlier and an earlier age. It's why we've got life groups so that you can go through life together with a group of people, men's and women's groups that can do it. All of these things that we have, it's why our prayer ministry is what it is. And our care ministry is what it is so that you don't have to go through life alone, that you don't have to be lonely in the middle of the crowd. And on the other side of that narrow gate, there is salvation and there is peace and there is real love and there is joy because there is Jesus. There's Christian community. So here we are. Maybe today you're feeling like, oh, man, he's going to put me in a spot. I got to make some kind of a decision. I got to get out for more coffee and duck away. Don't. Maybe you've chosen from the narrow gate a while ago and maybe you've strayed. Maybe you made that decision with all the best intentions some time ago in your life and you find yourself now somehow mingling with the crowd again and it's getting you caught up in trouble. Maybe you chose the narrow gate and you've been living in freedom given to you in the death of resurrection of Jesus and you're living in the forgiveness of your sins without taking them for granted but being grateful for them. Or maybe you're standing at that crossroads that I was at 35 years ago and you're looking at a narrow gate and you're not sure what's through the other side. You can't really see it very clearly. That narrow gate that's largely ignored by the world around you and it can be treated with hostility and contempt. And those of us who choose and pass through it aren't always treated so well anymore. And the other option is the wide gate that's got neon signs advertising the fun, the pleasures, and the life that supposedly exists on the other side. But here's the thing. Both of those gates hold your eternity. And the door of humility might be a little bit darker as I experienced it, but on the other side is life. And that wide gate that the crowd and the mob is rushing through looks like it's full of life, and the only thing on the other side is death and destruction. It's full of false advertising. The mass of humanity runs through the wide gate headfirst without any thought of their future. See, we're living with the results of that kind of thinking in America today. If you don't believe me, just start digesting the news with that light. Are those people really thinking about eternity? Are they really thinking about what's on the other side of that gate? No, they're not. They're thinking about what they want in the moment today. Because that's what the devil wants us to focus on. See, God allows those two gates to exist side by side. Which gate are you going to choose? Destruction and a life and an eternity without God? Or the narrow gate in salvation and the life in eternity with God. See what God desires? And it goes back to that verse I read you earlier. God desires more than anything that you would come to a knowledge of the truth in Jesus. Return his great love for you with your own love for him. And and he he loves you so much that he lets you have that choice. He's not going to force you into an eternity that you don't want. But choose wisely. Choose the narrow gate, the path of humility that leads to salvation. See that, that, helping you make that choice and to live that life is why we exist as a church. To love Jesus, love people, and teach people to love Jesus. It's really simple. Helping you live that life is why we teach the Bible when we gather, not books about the Bible or what other people think. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The choice is yours. But here's the thing. On the other side of that narrow gate, Jesus is waiting you for you for all of eternity. On the other side of that wide gate to death and destruction, the only thing that's waiting is death, destruction, and an eternity separated from God. Choose wisely, let's pray. God, this is a hard teaching. The golden rule is fun uh, we, we've we've taken that on in we can, we can kick that one out without having to think about it. But God, you, you want so much more for us. You want to turn the world upside down through you and, and through Jesus. That we don't see the world the way the rest of the people in it do, but we see it through your eyes, through Jesus' eyes, through the gift of the death and the resurrection of your only Son, Jesus Christ. God, folks today are, are struggling. Fear, worry, uncertainty... Everything looks dark around us. The easy thing to do is to just go where the crowd is. God, I would ask that in your Holy Spirit, you would help us to do what we can't do without you. And that's to choose life, to choose you, to choose Jesus and his gift, in his death and resurrection of our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. Because the only side, only thing that the wide gate has to offer, the only thing That Satan and the wide gate has to offer is death and destruction. God, I just ask that to everyone who is here, who is listening, who is watching. Whether it's a first time choice, reaffirming the choice or coming back and choosing you again, God, that we would choose Jesus. Because while while the golden rule has us doing for others what we want them to do for us, God, in Jesus, Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you for what you've done for us in him and through him. God, that we would never take that gift lightly. And that when it is our opportunity to choose our gate, that we would do so wisely. That we would choose an eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.